This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today I'm talking with Rod Elkins. Rod is the touring drummer for rising alt-country star Tyler Childers, and although the band is now headlining internationally, Rod still lives in his small hometown of Huntington, West Virginia, where the band got its start. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. So we've interviewed a few drummers who live in small towns, but I think Rod represents the smallest. Huntington's population is only about 50,000, but he was born and raised there. He got a music career started there. He loves it there, and out of that scene came a relationship with a hugely talented artist that evolved into a big gig. This is a great story about learning who he is and what's important to him musically and otherwise. So let's do it. I think you'll dig Rod Elkins. to my head i could not name a single town in west virginia um <laughs> there's your one right, if you right. get caught in that situation there, there you go I'm, I'm trying to flash back to like fifth grade when we had to name all the 50 state capitals um and, charleston okay. charleston's our capital got it okay um so yeah. uh so yeah I'm, I'm fascinated by uh just the fact that you live in in uh Huntington, West Virginia, but you're, <laughs> you're part of this band that's, you know, all over the freaking world. Um, talk, okay. Before we get to Huntington, West Virginia, uh, just talk a little bit about the, the gig you've been doing. Um, is it, I'm sorry, is it Tyler Childers or Childers? Chill. Childers. Tyler yeah. Childers right on. So you've been doing yeah. that for a while. Yeah. Yeah, man. He started, uh, He's kind of from Louisa, so he started hopping around. Huntington was a big city for him, um, wow. which was like, I don't know, 30 minutes, I guess, away, 40 minutes from here mm -hmm. into Kentucky. 
and because uh, we're kind of right on the border, Huntington is with uh, Ohio and Kentucky. Okay. And uh, and uh, he started coming around here, and we, me and James and Craig, who plays pedal steel and bass in the band, we've had a band for ten years, you know, as a trio. Tyler started boot scooting around here, and we're just like, "Man, you're awesome. You need a band." <laughs> <laughs> he, was, uh, he was a little, he was a little reluctant at first, but we finally broke him down enough, and then uh, been doing that six, seven years now. Wow. So, uh, uh, and so it all kind of originated around here, and we're all basically still here. Wow. So he was doing like solo singer songwriter type type stuff. Yeah, man. Just just him his guitar and a bow tie, and uh, <laughs> he was he's killing it. He's nailing it to the wall, and we were all you know amazed by it. And I wanted to be a part of it immediately. I was like, oh, I want to play drums to that. Right. Like, right. Yes. <laughs> I know, man. I know that feeling. And and we were talking um, on a on a recent episode about you know you, like you you make all these sort of calculations. Um, you know, professionally or, you know, especially on social media, as far as like what gigs you're playing, what gigs you want to play. It's like, oh, this guy's got some juice on him. This guy's got a big following. She's got like a tour booked or whatever. But like none of that, for me at least, and it sounds like for you, holds as much sway as when you see and hear someone and you're like, holy shit, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah, like I was gonna say, that's past all that for me with with Tyler. I mean, he's my brother, mm-hmm. but it's like, um, and like as soon as we heard, he was playing Feathered Indians pretty early. He had that one mm-hmm. and Shake the Frost from since we met him, yeah. and then like hearing those, it was like I don't care how much money I will make, right, or not make, right. I just want to play. This is what I'm doing for a living. I don't care. Yep. This is <laughs> this is raw talent, and I I want yeah. in. Um, I'll sweep a damn warehouse floor if I can just do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the time. <laughs> so talk about like the the journey and the evolution from you know this guy shows up from Kentucky. Uh, and you know, a few years later you're in Rupp arena or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like it was like slow. (laughs) It was slow and fast all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, basically we just knew that that's what we were doing. And I, uh, kind of broke, I guess broke them down a little more in regards to, we were just kind of us three and Tyler were, kind of just playing like fun covers like country covers like mm-hmm. your hank williams your your merles your waylands drinking and you know just having fun and then i was just like we need to do your songs and um little apprehension at first you know he never really played with a band yet or anything like that mm-hmm. and which is you know we all have that feeling sometimes but um i took the notion and submitted like a electronic press kit for uh this festival in cincinnati it was the first country music festival they did called buckle up Hmm. and i think it went away for a few years and then it came back um buckle up music festival and it was like sturgill simpson was there and he had just came out with uh meta modern that record had just came out um so it was sturgill it was Alabama was headlining. Uh, Marty Stewart was playing. Uh, all kinds of people. I think uh, Jamie Lynn Spears was on it. Hmm. Maybe. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so we had like a one o'clock slot. And if you ask those boys, <laughs> I was uh, 
first time dealing with uh, music emails, and you know they're <laughs> talking me up about fifty thousand people and all this stuff. And I was like, guys, we're playing in front of fifty thousand people, not knowing <laughs> that we were on like the stage that was a mile away. Right, right. <laughs> you know. So we got that slot. It was kind of like a contest, battle of the bands type thing, but it was all like recorded. So we did, um, we went and did Feathered Indians and a song he'd written called Wailing on My Willie. <laughs> and we did, we recorded those. I sent them in. We got the slot, played at like one o'clock, raced across to see Sturgill. That blew our minds. And then, like, I remember us all standing in the rain watching Marty Stewart. He comes out. They're all in purple suits. He's in black rhinestones. And they just start singing, wailing, stop the world, let me off. They just walk out, not say a word, and just stop the world and let me off. Wow. And I was like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Like, I amazing. want to do nothing else. <laughs> right, right. So, like, up to that point, I mean, you'd been playing, obviously, but like, were were you working another job? Were you teaching? Were you just playing exclusively, like in your area? Yeah, yeah I was in college. I was in college. We, uh, me and Craig, the bass player, were in college. I had just taken a little break for like three semesters. Money kind of ran out for a little bit, and I just went back. This was twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. It was when we did that festival. So up to that point. I get out of high school. I play guitar in a, uh, like a cover band doing like VFW gigs and cool. American Legions. Yeah, yeah. Soul crushing, soul crushing four hour Mustang Sallies, <laughs> you know. Right. And then uh, titty contest at biker bars. It was insane. <laughs> it was stupid. But I lived with my parents and I made uh, like four hundred bucks a week. So I was like. This is all right. Right, right. <laughs> this ain't bad at that's all. sustainable. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, just doing the college uh, jazz program at the college in town. So me and Craig Berletic, the bass player in the band, the Food Stamps, uh, we both have jazz studies degrees, performance degrees. So do bachelors. I. Yeah, nice. Yeah. How's that working out nice. for you? Nice. I mean, I think I'm doing what my degree says I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Right now, you mean, but, you uh, mean you're playing like uh, twenty piece fusion charts in seven eight? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I would probably throw up if I saw one of those in front of me right now. <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, I guess if you call it a performance degree, I guess I'm doing that. Right? But, yeah. And then like uh, me, James, and Craig, the trio, we had uh, Deadbeats and Barkers. We were playing regionally, doing stuff like that. And I taught at uh, a local music store, doing drum and guitar lessons. And doing college and, you know, random restaurant uh, gigs, like working, like serving here and there. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that, you know, just trying to make as much money as I could and still have the freedom to gig. And, you know, if I would go for a job interview or something. And they'd be like, well, I need you, you know, some weekends. And I'm like, no, this ain't for me. Right. Like, yeah. Nope. I got a gig, brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it a day that starts with yeah. S? Sorry. Nope. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, I can't do it. So, like, you, you play this festival, um, and then things start happening. Like, at, at what point does it become apparent that this band and this guy is going to be full-time and you kind of bail on everything else? Um, It was about when Sturgill entered the mix and uh, kind of 
took took Tyler under his wing a little bit and showed him the ropes and they uh, uh, country or not country squire um, shit purgatory purgatory came out the mm-hmm. first the first record he they did that with Nashville Cats and stuff like that so that's not me playing on any of the records that's not right us. I was gonna ask so Tyler's got five records out uh, and but you're not on any of them it's all Nashville folks yeah yeah purgatory and country squire Nashville folks um, he had. Uh, the Red Barns are uh, the high wall band he had back in the day. He had those when we started playing with them. Mm, and I okay. guess they remastered them and did that. And Bottles and Bibles was probably like his first his first record he ever did. So And when you say Sturgill um, entered the mix, like did did Sturgill produce some of these records? Did what like what role did Sturgill Simpson play in Tyler's? Yeah, he he did that. He did that. He produced those two and just kind of used his guys and they shaped the songs and you know got them got him some distribution, you know, and helped in that regard and just kind of showed him the ropes really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and his songs and his, uh, charm and prowess took over and <laughs> took it from there. Right. So, right. And I mean, us as a band, we were just learning and, uh, we learned all the songs like white house road off purgatory. That's probably like the third or fourth version we'd ever played, hmm. you know, cause it had changed two or three times by that point. And, um, we were just learning them and getting better as players as we were doing it. Right. You know, they did all the work for us, which is great because I was like, I didn't think about some of these songs like that. And you were just learning, and, you, you were learning that stuff for the purposes of playing live and touring. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we were the road dogs, you know? Right. Right. Um, okay. So I have, I have two questions about that process. Like when, when this starts happening and, and like, you know, Tyler is making these records in Nashville, um, are like are, is there part of you that's afraid that like we're going to get left behind here he's just going to go to nashville he's going to get a new nashville band it's going like he's going to graduate out of us i mean uh personally i can't speak for anybody else but for me i can speak for myself that i fought with that at first i was afraid of that because i am perpetually i perpetually don't think i'm good enough hmm. you know i can always be better mm-hmm. I want to always be better. And I have the anxiety that I'm not good enough, especially when I hear uh, uh, Milky Miles Miller on these records, just nailing it to the wall. (laughs) And I'm like, shit. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, you know, I mean, it took me a second to get over that. But I did because I had to talk myself out of. It's Tyler's different, man. He's 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 a he's a great friend he's he's family mm-hmm. and it was it's really a means to an end to get us all out there and we learned a lot listening to them i mean none of us had ever had much studio time yeah you know as a band so it kind of was a thing where for me looking at it was like all right use these guys um to make your songs the best they can be and then we'll learn it. And then, you know, it's just, that's how it's just going to be. That's how it's going to work out. And, you know, it's like, man, I mean, I don't think if we had to do it over again, I I'm, would probably hope we all did it the same way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when, you know, I, I can totally relate to the, uh, you know, sort of not good enough, uh, mentality or the imposter syndrome. Um, yeah. but I think like the more I'm learning about this, you know, when, if if a decision is made that like okay it's going to be a different band these guys are going to be on the record or this band is going to go on tour 
um, I, I don't think it's always that, you know, that musician isn't good enough. Um, I think yeah. it, it has more to do with, you know, it's, these are, these are the people that the producer knows. These are the people that the producer works with and trusts and whatever. And it's not that you're not good enough. It's that he doesn't know you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And time is money, you right. know? So if these guys are going in there and they're going to lay it down in two, three days, I mean, that's what you're going to want. And since, since COVID happened, I've, I've been doing a lot more sessions and a lot more like flying stuff and I've gotten better Yeah, me too. at recording and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I've gotten better and we've all adapted and I've gotten better at doing that. And I'm like, man, I couldn't have done that like two, three years ago when, yeah. when all this was going on, you know, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And it's a, it's a good sort of, uh, realization. It's like, it's a little bit humbling, but it's, it's healthy, I think to, to realize that like, you know, as much ambition as we had a few years ago, because every drummer is like, man, I want to do more sessions. I want to get into this studio. I want to blah, blah, blah. But then, you yeah. know, you, you actually get a bunch of session work under your belt and you're like, yeah, I, I probably couldn't have. I probably couldn't have hacked it a few years ago. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know? yeah, no joke. Uh, yeah, I'm no not joke. Sure, I'm not, still not sure I could hack it now, but at least I, I just have a bunch more experience now to sort of lean on. But yeah, I just had this idea that like, yeah, I just go into a studio and play. Be yeah, that's all I got to do, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so easy. Right. You just put a mic on it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've played, yeah. I've played plenty of stuff right the first time. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah i had to learn i really had to learn to um obviously talking about anxiety and stuff with not being good enough i do have anxiety mm-hmm. you know it's it was crippling for a second especially right before the pandemic started and that was affecting my playing yeah. you know thankfully i mean bittersweet scenario uh covid kicked us off the road right you know, so I'm sitting around. A, I'm drinking way too much for yep. like a month. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I learned so, so I thought many, it. I learned so many cocktail recipes over COVID. Bruh, <laughs> bruh. I hurt myself. Yeah, I'm still hurting. That was that was kind of my justification. It was like, well, I'm gonna make a fancy cocktail. You know, I'm not just gonna like pound beer or pour yeah. whiskey in a glass. Like, I'm gonna put some yeah. effort into it. And then it's like, it's a sort of artisanal, you know, ritualistic kind of thing i'm yeah. not just drinking my face off exactly I, it's healthy now i put effort in it it's healthy but uh yeah so i thought it was just kind of that you know and it's like wait a minute you slow down and then i went to the doctor and because i was just sitting there thinking oh, it ain't going away you know i'm just worried all the time and so i finally went to the doctor we talked about it and thankfully we did and got us got me on like Oh, medication that kind of keeps it at bay, you know? Mm-hmm. you know, plus like little lifestyle changes. I work out a lot more. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, you know, what it's like being on the road. You just get unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was it's like, on... I came home and I was 315 pounds when we got off the road. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Insane. Yeah. It'll, it'll wreck you, man. Um, and especially the older you get, um, I think the more, the more effort and care you've got to put into, um, just taking care of your body, whether you're on the road or not. Um, I was, I was on a, a Reddit thread a few weeks ago and there was this guy, he was kind of getting ready to go on his first tour. Um, and he was just asking advice about like how to be on tour. And I was like, don't drink too much, eat, eat as healthy as you can. Uh, you know, 
get some kind of exercise once in a while yeah. and take time for yourself. Like you don't always have to be in the front of the bus making the hang, whatever, because the yeah. road the road is just like a, a fertile environment for you to feel like shit and go a little bit crazy. Uh, and if yeah. you don't take care of yourself, man, it'll happen fast. It happens very fast, and it sneaks up on you. I mean, you want you want the the burger in every town, you know. And <laughs> right. it's you know, I, I love Thai food, so it's like me and a couple guys, like Jesse, uh, the fiddle player in the band. You know, we go get Thai food or something, you know, and I'm shoving noodles in my body two <laughs> two or three times a day, yeah, or something, you know, with like leftovers and just sitting on the bus drinking beer. You know, I ain't driving. Right. I'll have another one. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And, you know, that's it's just bad. And then I realized that the best way to see some of these cities that we're in is jogging. Mm. You know, you yeah, just yeah. take you just take off and you just see a lot of the uh, city you're in or wherever, whatever you're in, two or three mile radius. Yeah. And it's like, that's perfect, especially early morning. And Yeah. I you know uh, I I hate jogging with the heat of a thousand suns. Um, but a good alternative to that is just to rent a bike. Like get into town, yeah. rent a bike, cruise around. My second question about like you know the the Nashville crew sort of recording these songs is what did you what did you learn about songcraft and drum part construction and uh, just that that whole um, aspect of your job from these Nashville guys and from Sturgill's production and and the the <laughs> results that they came out with. What I took away from it, and it's been kind of the recent. Uh, revelation to me is that I was unfucking everything I had learned up to that point <laughs> in regards to baby, how do I learn to play two notes as opposed to six? Yeah, for the entire song. Mm-hmm. You know, I I wanted to feel so good with such less with the minimal amount of notes. You know, and it's like, that's not just my chops. That's not just my technique. That's my soul. Mm-hmm. I'm putting that out. We could play rock beat number one together and it's going to sound different because we feel different. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's been a recent revelation where I'm just like, oh man, it's only 20% of the notes I choose. It's like 70 to 80% of how I feel and how I want it to feel. Mm-hmm. You know, and my intention, because I can play the same beat on like five songs, but I, it's gonna feel different five different ways. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, as the emotion of the song dictates. I mean, it's lyrics, man. You gotta stay out of the way. Yep. Yep. You know, and, I'm a foundation. You build your house on me. Right. You know? Right. And you know, I mean, you mentioned lyrics. Like, I I feel like you know, lyrical content is um, just paramount to how you're going to interpret uh one of those five ways like you know if you take rock beat number one you know that lyrical content is going to determine so much of of how you interpret just your your basic time yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, I had to get out of my head about that where it's like, oh my God, I've played the same beat three songs in a row. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, it's fine, you know, because it works for three songs. It right. just so happens there in a row on the set. And, you know, like with the lyrical content and stuff like that, if it's a sad song, I can play it sad. If it's a upbeat, you know, funky jam, I can play it upbeat and funky. Yeah. That's you know, a good, and it's just emphasis. That's a good reminder for me because, like, you know, when when constructing set lists, um, you know, I think singers and and guitarists and and other musicians are, um, you know, they're they're thinking about um, what the key is, uh, is it major or minor, all that. I'm I'm always thinking about like what's the groove, what's the tempo, and I get bent out of shape if, like you said, there's two or three or four songs in a row that are just like same groove same tempo Mm -hmm. but i mean that's a challenge for me to find a difference like find a way to make those songs that are same groove same tempo just feel different somehow yeah exactly and it's sometimes it's as easy as all right i'm gonna be a little lazy with my hi hat Mm -hmm. you know and i'm gonna I'm just going to let it float as opposed to strict time. Like I'm just going to let it lay there and I'm going to put that on autopilot for a second and really focus on how I'm hitting my two and four, Mm -hmm. you know, or let me put a little ghost note here, a little ghost note there. Maybe the kick pattern's just a little different, but your hands are the same. So it's like really channeling the emotion of that song into your hands and feet is I think what makes a great drummer, like really, and not shoving 10 pounds of notes into a nine-pound bag. You know? <laughs> right, right. You know, it's funny, like, <laughs> even even drummers that, that we consider to be, like, really busy and, and guys that get away with it, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking of Carter Beaufort right now because I recently played a gig with a, a Dave Matthews cover band which I yeah. I fucking love. I will make no apologies for. <laughs> fucking, hey, dude. fucking come at me. I love it. Um, <laughs> but I love Rio by Duran Duran right now. So <laughs> I think that song kicks ass. <laughs> it, there's a reason it's still around, man. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, but I'm I'm you know I'm listening to all these Dave Matthews songs. I'm I'm learning them. Um, and you know I've been I've been aping Carter's shit since I was 15. Totally. Um, but. Especially when it comes to fills and especially when it comes to, you know, a chance to to do a solo over a tune or something, you know, like my my idea of Carter's notiest shit is still more noty than he actually is. Right. Yeah. Like, he's busy for sure. But like I listen to Carter on a record and then I listen to myself doing my Carter impression. And it's like, wow, I'm way busier than he actually is. Yeah. So like yeah, even, even when we have license to just like pull out all the stops, um, it, it seems like we overdo it or I do at least. <laughs> I think I think it's pretty mutual, man. I feel the same way sometimes because I think it's a lot of. For me, it's a lot of anxiety. Like, am I doing this right? Yeah. You know, totally. is this is this how he was doing it? Is that uh, imposter syndrome kind of thing you're talking about? Where it's like, did I learn this correctly? Mm-hmm. I'm not him. You know, these are like thoughts I have. Yeah. You know, I'm not as good. I'm not as good as Steve Gadd. You know, but it's like I want to play like him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's like yeah, and like picking the right notes 
and playing less notes. And uh, the guys in the band, when they hear this, they'll be like, yep, you brought up One Trick Pony again. Uh, <laughs> I urge you to listen to One Trick Pony by Paul Simon. Yeah. it's uh, it's The record's called One Trick Pony, but the song, the title track's One Trick Pony. And I swear to God, Steve Gadd's barely playing. But yeah. it is all the perfect note. It's all the perfect note choices in the world. Is that the record that uh, 50 Ways is on? No, okay. no. This was a soundtrack to, uh, uh, in my honest opinion, a very C-minus movie from mm-hmm. like 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Steve Gadd. It's got Cornell Dupree on it um, playing guitar. Shit. Who's the keyboard player uh, is it the stuff piano. guys basically uh-huh. yeah and it's got uh oh shit who is the bass player in king crimson <sighs> bald guy mustache i thought i'd never oh, tony levin tony levine tony levin yeah, yeah 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 tony levin's playing bass wow and uh richard t's on keys oh cool yeah yeah so it's basically the stuff guys with tony levin and paul simon wow okay and yeah Gad. and that whole record <laughs> so good yeah it's so good i swear man but that song in particular is he makes quarter notes sound so good yeah yeah he's just he's just the king he's the fucking champion and i like no matter who i talk to steve gad is coming up in every single interview it does not matter he's just like ubiquitous in in everyone's mind in the back of yeah. every like no matter what style of music people are playing no matter what their background is everybody just wants to sound like fucking gad yeah uh, did you get gadamans yet uh no but i just interviewed uh joe bergamini who sort of nice. like, co-authored or edited that book um nice. have you gotten it have you been through it i've ordered it uh i have i was out of town uh for the fourth for two weeks i kind of just walked away from drums and music for two weeks i was like let's have a little reset you've been playing a lot us and tyler are getting ready to rehearse next week we got like a festival in montana next weekend so i was like let's walk away yeah for a couple weeks and reset so you're just ready and you're pumped to jam cool i mean i am pumped to jam but just to be rested and ready to do a small little like five day or yeah i did but um I ordered it before I left, and since I was gone, I had it sent to my parents' house, and I have not visited yet. <laughs> I wonder if it's there. Right. You got to like give but yourself yeah, incentive wait. to show up at your parents' house. Yeah. Hey guys, how you doing? <laughs> Does anything show up? Right. Right. You using that washing machine right now? <laughs> exactly. But yeah, totally. Please, mom. Please. <laughs> but yeah, Steve Gadd, Levon Helm, yeah. James Ganson. Yeah, man. That's that's my trio. I think that's a lot of people's trio. Um, if I can be if I can be those three in one, I'd I'd love that yeah. so much. So this anxiety thing, like, is is this something that was uh, was caused by drumming and music, or was it something that was kind of always there in you and just sort of like manifested, or was exacerbated by your your musical uh, career? I think I was born with it, yeah, yeah. for sure um i like looking back on things from childhood i'm like that was like the definition of anxiety like Mm -hmm. the things you felt um to be perfectly candid i was really scared of death growing up yeah and like i remember having to talk to somebody Uh and i didn't really like understand it at the time i was like five or six i guess right 
like looking back now and like talking to my parents about it. And it's like, Oh man, you got so anxious about death that yeah. it was like, I think I burned up like a TV as a child because I wouldn't turn it off at night. Whoa. Cause I couldn't be alone with my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's like different things kept me busy. I think music kept me busy. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't think about too many things at the time. And, and then kind of coupled with the general, like stage terrors, you know, everybody's yeah. looking at me, right. everybody's watching me. Am I playing the right thing? Does this sound good? What do I sound like? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. are my drums tuned well? And I'm, I'm a worrier. Hmm. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, uh, full disclosure, we played in Missoula, Montana. Nothing was wrong. Great day, kind of gray day. I walked around all day, drank coffee, feeling good. Got on the gig, playing pretty well, if I recall. Um, the boys might taste something different. <laughs> I thought it was okay. Um, and then uh, playing through this version of Bus Route. Bus Route's on Country Squire. It's, we played it different at the time. This was before it was recorded. And it was kind of like a fast shuffle, mm -hmm. you know, just like a and we were probably cooking it because we cooked everything then. <laughs> and, uh, buddy, I went into a full blown panic attack, like, like right in the middle of it. Wow. It just for no reason. Wow. And like Craig, Craig, even the bass player, Craig walks over and he's still playing. He's kind of notices. He's like, you okay? I'm like, no. And we're still just kind of playing. A few measures go by. He looks back over. He's like, "You okay?" And I'm like, "It's like I'm having a panic attack." And Jesus. like I was, I was shaking, just like couldn't. I was, and I got so nervous. I was gonna blow the gig. It was sold out. Like I don't even know thousands of people in there. Yeah, and just like shaking. I'm kind of shaking thinking about it because <laughs> it was such a terror. Yeah, and it took me like three songs to get out of it. Wow. And I was so scared I was going to blow the gig wow. like right there. How did you get out of it? Did you just sort of like ride it out and white knuckle it and it's, Wrote it's it out. subsided? Caveman, caveman, the sticks, oh. you know. Um, so if you're playing like this, I call caveman wrapping my thumb around it. And yeah, just, just making a fist like. Punching through it and breathing. Huh. Deep wow. breaths. Yeah, yeah. We'd be in between a song and I would just kind of sit there. And he'd be talking. I'm breathing, just trying to relax. And then uh, I don't even remember when that gig was now. But like I said, as soon as we got home long enough, I was like, I never want that to happen again. Right, right. And you, you said because that, that was scary. you. You said that sort of like uh, being at home, the stress of COVID, and uh, you know our. Uh, aforementioned covid drinking patterns uh <laughs> yeah. kind of uh was that like a, a breaking point where pretty much i mean i think everybody was a little nervous when everything happened and you know we were um i personally have a hard time sitting still mm -hmm. um and so just sitting there i feel like ah, this is terrible i feel like if i'm not actively doing something i'm wasting time mm-hmm you know, so it's like even I'm still a good drummer if I'm sitting in the chair watching Netflix. Right. You know, but if, I, <laughs> if I'm not doing something about it, if I'm not constantly working at it, I feel bad. Mm. 
Yeah. You know, and I'm, I have an internal struggle. Right. And that, um, you're not like, if you're sitting here watching TV, someone's working. Right. And I think a lot of drummers have that mentality. And, and in a lot of cases it's out of, um, ambition, but I, it sounds like mm-hmm. in your case, it was more out of fear. Cause like you've had so many experiences where you were like on stage, just having this internal dialogue, like, am I good enough? Yeah. So when you're, yeah. when you're off stage, if, if you're not like working against that, if you're not doing, you know, uh, things constantly that are going to prevent that mentality on stage, that's when you start yeah. freaking out. Yeah. Because I want, I want to be prepared. You know, I want to be, I want no question. Right. That this is what I'm playing. This is how it's going to feel. This is the tempo or whatever tempo, um, whoever I'm playing with. Cause sometimes, you know, I don't count things off all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, the, the singer songwriter, some, there's some songs Tyler starts off, you know, and I just got to pick up on that and whatever he's doing, he's doing, if it's fast, it's fast, if it's slow, it's slow. And that's how it's going to be. Right. And, uh, uh, yeah. So always just being ready for whatever tempo, whatever style, whatever, anything. And, you know, at least with practice and you know, there's a 1000 million jillion things you can work on at any given moment. Yeah. Style, feel, technique, groove, your timing. Right. You know, and there's another tree off of every one of those. That's what you can do there, Mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that. So, but I've, (laughs) I've stopped all that (laughs) because it's better for my health. Yeah. And, uh, Basically, I do stay busy with a lot of projects outside of Tyler. A little more narrow focus. Like me and some of the guys have a band called El Dorado. Mm -hmm. Me and James and Craig from the Food Stamps with our good friend Doug Woodard in town that does all your country western favorites. Uh, Classics, really. And not bro country. None of that horse shit. And then... uh, uh, I play in a band Ona in town. Mm-hmm. That's more of a uh, um, contemporary, like dance, feel good rock jams, and doing sessions on the side. But it's like the only thing I care about now is if my timing's good and if my groove is good. Yep. And I make it feel appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just kind of worry about that now. <laughs> right. And so, like, how is how has that changed your experience? on stage so far it's good because all i think about is staying relaxed yeah 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 and and you know and knowing that i know the song right i'm confident my confidence has gone way up since um actually since covid started and it's gotten way higher i'm confident in my abilities I think I think it was starting doing sessions too that got my confidence up. Yeah. I realized I was like, "Hey, I'm not terrible at this." Right. You right. know, it's like <laughs> I'm not as bad as I thought I was. Yep, I experienced the same thing. Like you know, uh, recording recording in my studio here and getting some feedback from people whose opinion I respect, and just using my own ears because, like you know, we we do this for a living. We've been doing this a long time. We can trust yeah. our ears, and even if it's yourself that you're listening to. If your ears tell you like, man, this sounds fucking good, 
you know, (laughs) unless you're, unless you're an egomaniacal psychopath, you can usually trust that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, is your head bobbing to your own shit? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably good. Right. You know, not everybody's going to like it, but you know, whatever. Is that snare tone giving you stank face? That's your snare tone. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You did it. (laughs) Exactly. Man, snare tone. Don't even oh, don't even get me started on that. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, I was in a hole like <laughs> three months ago. With your Could not tone. for the life of me get a one damn snare to sound good. Oh shit. I probably I've probably got four or five of them at this point. Right. Different Ludwig drums. Yeah. Shout out Ludwig. Those are my homies. Right. And uh could not get a one of them to sound good. <laughs> And then, damned if I didn't get a drum dial. Really? Changed changed my life. Really? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Shout out drum dial. Talk. So talk to me about that because I'm I'm like, uh, like I'll be honest. I'm I'm kind of down on the whole drum dial thing. I've never used one, and I'm I'm just of that grumpy old school opinion. It's like you should be able to just do it by ear. Like you don't me have too, to get man. in with a fucking micrometer and all, just like tune yeah, your drum. Me and, too. Okay, so how 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 did the drum dial change your game? Pure desperation. <laughs> uh, it was. I was like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. I I bought so I damn near. I don't. I didn't go broke, but I was almost going broke buying different heads. I was like, I've done something. Mm-hmm. I have messed something up. Snare wires. Um. Um. The things that, like the strips, if I went felt or plastic or string, I bought new snare wires, changed gauge, got different heads back and forth, and nothing sounded good. Hmm. And I was like, this is my last resort. And it wasn't that bad. I realized that things didn't need to be as tight as I was making them. Mm. You know, I had my whole thing just, it, I did. I wasn't doing it right. Hmm. And I didn't realize how good things sounded at lower tunings. I always thought that my bottom head on my snare needed to be cranked. Yep. Like I needed to be able to bounce a quarter off this thing. Right. And maybe it's just the drums I have. They don't, you know, respond to that as well as, you know, kind of getting it all even across the board, tensions and wise. But that doesn't mean that um, each individual lug needs to be the same incremental turn. Mm-hmm. Because what I learned with that drum dial is it's going to be on a on a plane, and it's going to be even across, but they may not be the same tension all the way around. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be one whole. Is this making sense? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when you say the same tension all the way around, like do you do you mean the same reading on the drum dial or the same number of yes. turns? Okay. Same reading on the drum dial because the same reading on the drum dial, if it's all even, not each lug won't necessarily be the same turn. Right, right. Which I thought was interesting. And especially on a snare, I I totally disregarded the snare beds. Yeah. And I hadn't, like, I was like, damn, I never accounted for that. Right. So are you, and tuning, I think that's, are you tuning your snare butt, your snare bed lugs lower? They're the same, but they are just a little lower. Mm-hmm. Like once I got all the way around, and especially with the drum dial, you know, you put the drum dial next to the lug, and then it gives you the reading. But for the snare beds, you got to go halfway between the snare bed lug and the one next to it. So mm. you're halfway, 
And then that's how you read the snare bed. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of because where it's like the dip in it, depending on on the angle of the dip or how hard that is. Yeah. If it's like sharp or more of a U, it's kind of a long, it, it, what I think is how I understood it. It's like elongating that tension. So you got to, it's like a trial, trial, trial of like grout. You're smoothing out on a yeah, long. Yeah. Instead so like, of just like this lug needs to be this. So, so you're putting the point between the two snare bed lugs at the same tension as the other actual lugs around the bottom head. Yes. Cool. Okay. Yes. But it, for me, it was really just like figuring out that that snare bed is going to cause major differences. It's not just a round thing. Right, right. And for now, the drum dial is getting me a sound that I want. And I'm going to praise it for now. <laughs> Go <laughs> until, with it. Until I can figure it out yep. in my it, old man. man ear ways. Right, right. <laughs> so have, have you found that, uh, like, if you if you get the same tension on every lug, like the same reading on the drum dial, does that always equate to the same pitch around every point on the head? Not really. And to, to go back to using the drum dial, it's right now it's a, just a starting point. Yeah, for me, and it is. It does feel like sometimes that the some of the other lugs are different pitches. If I'm going around with a with a stick, mm -hmm. sometimes it is a little different, but not so much that it's out of tune. It's just kind of giving it more of a body. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And and I could be completely wrong, yeah. <laughs> but this is how I feel is working for me. Right, right. You know, man, like we don't we don't often get into the weeds about, uh, you know, gear and tuning and, and drummy shit like this. But, you know, part of part of my journey in this studio here is realizing that I really didn't know jack shit about tuning <laughs> before I started, like really Same. putting mics on things because, you know, we're we're tuning. I think you and I have a similar background in that, like, it, it's mostly live, right? Like, yeah, we've done studio stuff here and there, but mostly live and tuning for a live gig and just getting through that gig um, mm -hmm. is just a completely different proposition than tuning in the studio. And, you know, yeah. I've, I've spent those same frustrating hours just like trying to find a snare tone or trying to uh, knock down floor tom sustain or trying to mitigate uh, sympathetic buzz from the, from the uh, rack tom. Um, yeah, but like with that, with that drum dial, you know, one of my, <laughs> one of my major beefs with it that, that I never actually have confirmed is that the, uh, you know, the, the tension reading that it gives you might not equate to an equal pitch all the way, the, all the way around the head. And that sounds mm -hmm. like it's true, but what I didn't realize was the flip side of that, which is, uh, you know, maybe slight variations in the pitch around the head is not a big deal. Maybe uh, having everything at the exact same tension reading is going to result in a good sound. Just like if you're recording, if you're if you're tuning without the drum dial, you might get everything to the exact same pitch, but that might not equate to the exact same tension, and that could affect your sound also. So it's like it's a double-edged sword, I suppose. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I was honestly, like I said, it was desperation. I really just was out of options. I was, I was just doing everything wrong. I felt like, and I wanted to figure something else out. Maybe I was looking at something different and getting the readings like that. And then realizing some of the tensions were a little different was kind of eye opening. I was like, well, maybe I've been thinking not everything needs to be so even mm-hmm. for the drum to sing hmm. as it should, right? you know, and especially with, we were talking about same tension, uh, not necessarily giving it that good sound, I had a problem with a bronze, my bronze phonic uh, snare, six and a half. I love those fucking things. And so good. <laughs> and, uh, bro, I had everything equal tuning. I was using my ear. I had my little mallet. I was like, everything is the exact same. And I uh, put it back. I turned it back over, put it on the stand, got real comfortable, man, started <laughs> playing a beat. And I hit that thing, and it was like, boy, boy. <laughs> Like every time I hit it, it was this damn tone, just boy. <laughs> I was like, I give up. Bought a drum down. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's hilarious. And like, man, nothing'll nothing'll uh hang a lantern on that boing like a like a fifty seven just pointed at God. your snare drum at the wrong angle Dude. or something. You go back and that's another thing, like, you know, you you get a drum sounding good in the room. And you're like, all right, you, you get your mic, you get your everything ready to go, and then you listen back to your snare, like, and it's just like... What the hell is that? <laughs> Are we even in the same room? Like, really? Yeah. Really, SM57? Yeah. This is what you hear? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's another thing, too. Like, all the other tunings, like doing sessions and stuff, um, uh, what I thought was good tuning isn't necessarily good tuning. Right. Right. Like once you put a mic on it and hear listen to it back, it's like, man, do I sound like that all the time? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like so, hearing yourself talk. And then you come into the whole game of of mic placement, right? Because you might not yeah. even have to fuck with the tuning at all. If you just find a different spot for that mic, you know, all of a yeah. sudden that frequency is gone. Uh oh Damn. my god, man. It's black magic. It's fucking voodoo. It's it's insanity. It's, I don't even claim to know one eighth of anything about it. Man, a lot of us have a, a long way to go, but it's addictive. It's like golf. Yeah. Like you get that one driver shot like down the middle of the fairway mm-hmm. and you're like, holy shit, how did I do that? And you're just chasing. That's my cocaine now. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah. I chase that monkey on my back. <laughs> Sometimes little mistakes that happen just out of like maybe not remembering a part of a song that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's the magic. Yeah. You know, and it's like I live for those moments now. It's, it's, it's well, yeah, coming it's back the to little your, mistakes. Coming back to your onstage experience, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like you're better able now to like be in the moment, enjoy the moment, have fun, uh, you know, and that confidence in yourself is resulting in just like a more positive, less stressful uh stage experience yeah no one's gonna die if i play bad 
Right. You know, and that's, I mean, as extreme as that sounds, it's, it's kind of what gets me through. I mean, I just, I also just love music again. I don't think I ever hated it, hated it, but it's just like, man, life's too short to worry about whether I'm playing super perfect or not. It's, it's, it's all about the music and how things feel and they make you feel good. Music's supposed to make you feel good and it's supposed to make you feel sad. It's supposed to make you feel like, like all kinds of ways. And it's, but mostly I enjoy playing drums and I enjoy had like being a bed of all my awesome buddies to lay on with their instruments, you know? Right. Right. And that's that, that's, I can't explain how that feels. It just, it's amazing. And no amount of worrying if it's perfect or not needs to overtake that feeling. Right. You know? Right. That like that feeling isn't dependent on anything being perfect because nothing's going right. to be perfect ever. Exactly. Exactly. But you get caught up listening to people like Steve Gadd and stuff. Yeah. Like, man. Why, the, why the hell am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but for the same reason he's doing it, because you love music and you want to make it exactly. feel good, right? Exactly. And none exactly. of us, none of us can ever make it feel like Gad, but we can still make it feel damn good. Exactly. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like imitate trying to imitate people you like helps you find your sounds, you know, because oh, you're not sure. going to be that. You're not going to be that player. You're yeah. not going to be Steve Gad. You're not going to be James Gadson. You're no, no one's going to be Levon Helm. Right. And it's like, but you trying to do that. It's just like, oh, there you are. Yeah. That's you. Yep. You know, and they're happy little mistakes, I guess, or accidents. You kind of slip into, oh, this is how I play because I'm trying to do this, but I'm not this. Yes. Because no one else can be that. Yep. <laughs> totally. Totally. I've yeah. so like you you mentioned uh like Gad and Levon and, and James Gadson. Um I went I went through this progression of like back in my jazz days and my college days like i went i was uh like a peter erskine clone for a minute and then i was a bill stewart i used those sticks for years yeah me too me yeah. too and then yeah. i was a bill stewart clone and then i was a keith carlock clone um and uh you know my my keith carlock clone chapter was in like my late 20s basically so mm -hmm. um you know by the time i got into my 30s uh, I, I feel like I had moved past, you know, just that imitation phase and just like taken flavors from each of those guys mm -hmm. and others, but like starting to just move into my own voice. But I, you're right. Like I wouldn't have found my voice if I hadn't moved through other people's voices first, you know, not, not yeah. many, not many drummers and not many musicians, um, just sort of like have their own voice from an early age, um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so weird how like trying to sound exactly like someone else can just make you sound like you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Cause there's, I mean, ah, some days you wake up and you just want to be leave on hell, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, it's hard not to be, right. but yeah, you know, you, you know, you do the best you can. And like I said, you just remember why you came to the show in it to begin with. Yeah. Um, okay. So, did you gr did you grow up in Huntington, West Virginia? Born and raised. Yeah. How big a town is that? Uh, when school's in, I think the last time I checked, there's about fifty k people here. That's small. Fifty thousand. Uh, fifty three thousand. Yeah. 
And I think that's when college uh, when college is in, when school's in, there's another 10,000, I think. What school is take. that there? Marshall University. So okay. have you seen um, you seen that Matthew McConaughey movie, We Are Marshall? I know about it, but yeah. That's the college. That's, that's where I went to school. That's where my um, um, good friend Craig went to school that's in the band. And they have a pretty good, well, they did. I don't know. I've been out of school for few years now since 2014 so uh i don't know how their program's doing now but especially since covid but they i mean we were playing every damn day yeah you know yeah and doing concerts and combos and festivals and stuff like that and they were i was really fortunate to have gone when i went and received awesome teachings and knowledge from really great dudes right right that, uh, that worked there and uh yeah so it's not a huge town uh it was bigger back in like the 70s uh there's a steel mill here oh yeah uh, steel factory and uh yeah yeah nothing crazy wow been so, here my whole life it's really cheap to live here I think i'm sure I'm still here <laughs> i'm sure man yeah um and that's six more- hours from five hours from nashville i think five five six coming back with the time change mm-hmm. two hours of lexington 245 to Cincy, 230 to Columbus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, was it ever an option for you to move to Nashville or to try to go to L.A.? Or, like, what uh, What made you stay there? I mean, I toyed with it. I, sometimes I feel like I toy with it every year or two. And, uh, it's, it was always an option, but I just never pulled the trigger. Um, I, I guess I always worried about the money aspect. Mm-hmm. If I could afford to live in a bigger city, mm-hmm. um, there was a while where I didn't think I could hang in a big city, mm-hmm. but I mean, all that's gone. I don't, you know, um, I really like the personal touch that this town has, in regards to music mm-hmm. there's so many good people in this town and so many great musicians in this town that i think that fosters a nice environment and and james and craig who are also in the food stamps we've played together for years years and years and years mm-hmm. and i love playing with them so much and there's such a great music scene in town here that I almost have FMS, like afraid of missing something mm. uh, with it. You know, I mean, of course, we hit the road and we're gone for weeks and months at a time. We always come back, kind of see what the scene's doing. We got like one club to play yeah, in town. So it's pretty intimate. I mean, we get some big, big names come through like Shooter. Shooter comes through and plays all the time. Shooter yeah, Jennings. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I think, uh, um, Blackstone Cherry's been through all kinds of people. I can't even begin to name. But, you know, and I also just had a lot of fun in my 20s learning and seeing all my friends play good music at the one club in town. Yeah. I don't know, man. It feels good. It feels better than a big scene. You know, we all, we're not, of course, we're all a little competitive. We all want to outdo each other in a good way, but we also, are encouraging everyone yeah you know like i used to go see ona play in town all the time before i started playing with them and i remember their first gig and i was immediately 
like no bullshit i was jealous <laughs> as soon as they played their first song i was like damn they figured it out <laughs> like they are killing it yeah and i was like i wish i could write songs like that you know and then they come off stage and we're all hugging and high five and it's like man y'all slayed it up there yeah you know and then that feeds into them wanting to be better and then someone else will see us play and be like man y'all killed it that helps us and you know it's i don't know if i would trade it to be in a big city scene at this point yeah yeah well we've talked we've talked so much about um you know the um the scene of a city and and the uh the availability of of opportunities in a big city yeah um but i think more and more uh, you know, between the expense of big cities, like you mentioned, um, and just the cultivation of like smaller, more local scenes, I think more and more musicians are realizing like, I don't have to live in Nashville or LA or New York, or even like a, a sort of second tier city like Atlanta or, um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, Chicago or whatever, like you can live in whatever small town uh, you're from or whatever, like little city mm-hmm. you've ended up in. Um, and chance, yeah. chances are there's going to be like really great musicians, great people, great community. Um, and even if so, like, it, you know, it seems like with the, the Childers thing, that's sort of like that's a little lightning in a bottle because out of your small town, out of your small scene, there's this big gig. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. even if that gig ended tomorrow, it, it seems like that town is where you belong. That scene is where you found a home. Um, yeah. This is where we cultivated all that. Like every, like all the, um, all the things that people love about Tyler. Hey, I mean, you can't deny his songs are amazing. Yeah. So that's 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 different. Uh, everything that people love about, I guess, us playing those songs, it's all started here. This is where we all started learning to play. This is where we are cultivated that that vibe and. Mm-hmm. You know, even before all this, we were just doing it regionally, going to Charleston, going to places in Ohio. It's it's just, you know, Appalachia feels good to me. Yeah. And, you know, like I was I was just up north for two weeks for the fourth. And, you know, I loved it. It was beautiful. But, you know, as soon as I got back here, it was like, this feels good. Mm-hmm. You know, something about Appalachia that makes me feel good. And. I don't think a big city could could give me that. Yeah. You know, because now none of us live in big cities. Right. Yeah. Right. And and it show, like you you hear it in the music um like to to hear you guys play and especially to watch you guys play um it just it it feels handmade. It feels like humans are doing it. It feels like something that sort of evolved and grew uh organically as opposed to something that was grown in a lab in nashville or la yeah i appreciate that man thank you thank you i appreciate that um that's what music's supposed to be you know yeah yeah i I, think i mean we have a very old school approach to it for mm -hmm. sure you know we're all i don't i mean we all like the same stuff a lot of it's old you know i listen to a lot of classic country and uh, you know Buck Owens and stuff like that, but I mean we all like artists that are out now too. But um, you know it's 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 very old school. It's very um, we don't put on for anybody. Yeah, 
That's for sure. You're gonna like it or you don't. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I think there, like there's there's always gonna be a place for it. Like I think some people, you know, sort of uh, are are wringing their hands and bemoaning like what's what's going to become of handmade music without the tracks and without the digital, you know, all the bullshit. But I think there's mm-hmm. always going to be a place for it. Like, you know, people playing music in front of people has been happening for tens of thousands of years. Yeah, dude. And it's not going anywhere. Like, you know, no. te- technology yeah. is going to do its thing. People are going to do their thing with it. Some mm-hmm. of it's going to be cool. Some of it's going to be dog shit. But yeah. just, you know, pe- <laughs> a band of people playing for a group of people is always going to be a thing. And, and you guys are killing it. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate that a lot. That means a lot, dude. I've listened to this podcast a bunch, like traveling and stuff. So oh, it's been right an honor on. just to be on. Yeah, here, bro. thanks, man. Thanks, man. And yeah. and uh, shout out to uh, shout out to Steve Junk Drummer for oh yeah for hooking us up. He still will not. <laughs> He's tell my me, boy. He will not tell me his last name or where he lives, but uh, oh, no, I, I won't. I won't let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> but we're good friends. We're good friends. I'm guessing it's somewhere keep near his... you. I'm guessing it's somewhere in your general vicinity, but. <laughs> I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> I mean, not that it matters. Who cares? Who cares? He's <laughs> he's doing his yeah, thing. Yeah, no, I've been friends with Steve for a long time. He's uh he's uh he's definitely been someone I've learned from, you know, advice wise and playing wise and stuff like that. And he's he's always been a great a great guy to talk to and bounce stuff off of if I had ever yeah. any doubts about something oh, or he a project will, he, or something. He will bounce. He will bounce for sure. <laughs> He's candid and I love it. You yep. need that you need a friend like that. Yeah. You really do. It's just like, hey man, what about this? And be like, no, it sucks. It's like, thank you. And I know it's not from a place of mean evil. It's just Bubby. I need honesty. Yeah. I'll always go to Steve if I need honesty. Right. Right. So cool. Yeah, he's great, man. I can't uh, I can't thank him enough for hooking us up like this. <laughs> Wonderful. It was great talking to you, man. Yeah, likewise, bro. This is fun. Right on, man. Be well. Safe travels. Yeah, man. And uh, do that. keep at it. Play pretty. Yeah, buddy. Go on try. You do the same, brother. I appreciate you. Rod Elkins. I could talk to that dude all day. He's out there with Childers. Check him out if you can. Dates are up at tylerchildersmusic.com. Next week, Matthew Kraus will be leading a roundtable discussion with six Nashville drummers who spend a lot of time in those honky-tonks down on Lower Broadway. We've mentioned that scene a lot and all the pros and cons that come with it. It's probably the most ubiquitous type of gig in Nashville, and Matt is going to get the perspective of some people with boots on the ground down there. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, get vaxxed. For the love of God, get vaxxed. And thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.